Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and all the ways that affects your business. I'm Mark Boundy, and uh, today's episode, we're going to be talking about one of the big reasons why I decided to get into this whole thing in the first place, one of my whys. And that is uh, one of the changes that's taking place in the world, in the business world, excuse me, that drive businesses to need a completely different approach. And that is how customers themselves have changed. And curiously enough, what we need to do as sellers to protect our customers from themselves. So let's start with uh, some dynamics in the marketplace and some statistics and some research that you will have heard uh, from multiple places. Um, Customers the way, especially B2B customers, the way they interact with sales organizations and with salespeople have changed. Uh, One big change that's identified and different companies, different research houses have documented different parts of this. The one I really like is uh, CSO Insights. They call theirs the apathy loop. And it doesn't describe the whole problem, but it describes a significant part of the problem. So let me describe this apathy loop for you. It's sort of a negative feedback loop. It's uh, a death spiral, if you will. So people at a company view sales vendor salespeople as adequate, but unremarkable. They do their job, but they don't exceed expectations in any way. In, and this is so extreme that uh, several folks, including CSO, have found that Companies don't find salespeople to be a real-time efficient way of teaching themselves about their own problems, or uh, uh, they aren't good information sources. CSO Insights uh, actually found that they were ninth out of 10 in terms of information sources. So people will go to the internet, to trade shows, to colleagues, to more internet, to big trade shows, in short, any resource rather than talking to a salesperson. And as a result, they end up self-diagnosing and self-informing, some more than others, but they describe to themselves and they they come to an understanding of their own issues, their own problems, their own needs without the engagement with any uh, vendor salesperson. Some, about half of them, go so far as to define their own solution. Then they'll go out to companies that they think they can, that will fit their self-defined, self-diagnosed needs and ask for bids. And what happens is these salespeople dutifully and faithfully respond to the RFP or to uh, to the request in a way that is very responsive to the request as written, but doesn't go beyond. But when they do, the companies say, geez, I've got three different logos on three different proposals, but they're all selling the exact same thing. 
So two things can happen. Well, three things can happen. One, they, by luck, they pick you after they've ground you for price. That's the best case. Uh, second thing is they pick somebody else. Third is they say, well, everything's kind of the same out there. Is what I'm doing today so bad that I really need to change? Because the change doesn't look all that compelling. Nobody look all that compelling versus each other. And maybe I'll wait for one of them to differentiate themselves. Maybe I'll wait for my problem to get worse. And so status quo wins. Uh, no matter what of those three ha um, outcomes happen at the customer's decision, salespeople don't come out looking good. They get, they are viewed as unremarkable, um, as meeting but not exceeding expectations. And so the customer says, oh, I was right not to engage them in the first place. And so you got this dynamic. I don't trust my salespeople to be a good information source. And when I do bring them in, they really don't add anything. So I was right all along. Well, that's pretty bad, right? So what you will hear from experts, uh, they'll say, well, you've got to break that cycle by being a trusted advisor, by providing commercial insights, by providing perspective, by providing insight. They don't necessarily tell you how. Uh, they might engage the marketing team to uh, come up with some magic messages or something like that. And that's good advice to start with. It's, it's great advice to start with. And so, and let's peel the onion back one more layer. So it's not just that this buying ecosystem or the, the customer has, has developed this negative feedback loop. There's some other stuff happening in organizations. Um, we've also heard uh, from many people that the number of people, personas, uh, whatever you want to call them, involved in a buying decision is growing. And every year it seems to grow. Currently, depending on who you, whose research you, you look at, it's 6.3 to 6.8. Pretty stable number in the mid sixes. And it wasn't too many years ago when that the number to the left of the decimal was four. It was four point something. And now it's six point something. So buying ecosystems have grown by maybe 50% in the last 10, 15 years. That's pretty remarkable. And a lot of experts and a lot of suppliers, a lot of companies are out there to say, well, it's grown, so let me give you a tool to manage the complexity. And I'm here to tell you that managing the complexity that you find is a great idea. Um, I think it also happens to be a good idea, and that's something that very few people are doing, and that is asking why that complexity is there. What's going on? What can we do about the complexity? Is there something else going on that we should manage? And so let's think about it. When Since I've been in business, companies have developed specialties. Those specialties have developed subspecialties, and those subspecialties seem to have like sub-subspecialties. So departments have turned into silos, silos have turned into littler silos, and those have turned into soda straws. Um, here's, here's something that any sales leader will understand. When I was a first uh, product manager 30 years ago, uh, there was four or five people that touched my customer. There was inside sales, outside sales, me as a product manager, there'd be somebody in production, and maybe an executive, and that was it. 
Now I have clients all the time that have 15 different roles that touch the customer. There's customer success, installation, verification, uh, configuration specialist, applications engineering. In addition to the inside sales and outside sales, we got hunters and farmers, uh, appointment setters, uh, demo specialists, client success, customer service, tech support in three tiers. We have channel managers. There's tons of roles in channel management. So it's very common that there could be 12, 15 people touching your customer. And your customers have siloed and segmented just as much as you have. So where one silo, one department used to benefit from what you sold, multiple silos benefit the same value you have always sold now touches more silos, not because you have more value, although in some cases, you know, solutions have become more complex. But in addition to solutions becoming more complex, which is kind of a minor player, organizations, your customer organization has got more complex and it hasn't only gotten 50% more complex. I told you, my selling organizations that I worked with went from six people and now selling organizations are often 15. That's almost, that's two and a half times as much. That's not a 50% growth. So let's look at the sociology of what happens inside an organization. Um, that's having 15 people on a buying team is a nightmare. So if you have kind of self-informed to the point where you say status quo, is no longer good enough and an executive appoints somebody as the lead for a buying team uh, to explore their needs and to explore vendors and so forth, 15 people for that team leader is way too many. They want five, maybe six, because sociologically in terms of a group dynamic and in terms of optimal committee size, you wanna keep that committee down so that you can actually get some progress made. It's pretty normal. And so what will often happen is they, they top out at five or six. And then what will also happen, we've all seen this in our organizations, is that somebody who was locked out of that says, hey, my voice needs to be heard. And so they get thrown in. And sometimes we can go from six to seven. And so that dynamic of the natural wanting to top out a buying committee at five or six, and then additional role saying, hey, my voice isn't being heard. We're going to make a bad decision if you don't include me, keeps that six growing above that. And that's how we're at 6.8 today. And it's not that every single person have a stake and weren't involved and didn't even ask to be included. There's a bunch more who asked to be included who didn't get included because the team leader had the political clout to say no. I'll listen to you, send me a report, send me a document of what you need, and we'll just make sure that we incorporate that. But it's just way too, um, what we're doing is doesn't involve you closely enough to have you involved in all of our team meetings. Thank you for your interest, send me a memo. So now given that dynamic and how often it occurs, as a selling organization, do you accept blindly the vendor solution to like, Find out who the buying influences are and let's manage the complexity of the 6.8 that you've been presented with. Is it a good idea for you to be responsive and just simply manage 
the complexity that you're given by the customer, by the lead team lead, because this reinforces that death spiral, that apathy loop, that uh, negative feedback loop. When that sales team lead starts inviting vendors in and says, well, these are the people on the five team. I want you to engage with us five people, these six people, these 6.8 people. The salespeople will dutifully engage all of those people. Every single salesperson is talking to exactly the same people. They are not talking to all the same excluded people. And so when it comes time to propose, everybody is responding to the exact same feedback they got from the exact same subset of the real universe of roles that are going to get value from what you sell. So the customer through some really natural social dynamics has narrowed their decision, has narrowed their analytic framework, and has now narrowed the number of considerations and, that they want to hear about. And so when, that say, when every one of those sales teams propose something, it all tends to look the same. Are we surprised by this? All right, so uh, to uh, borrow an old phrase, wait, don't call now. It gets worse. Um, procurement agencies don't make it any better. They aren't at fault. They aren't your enemy, but they are reinforcing this dysfunctional behavior that your customer has developed all through their organization. Procurement uh, has policies like blocking interactions to any silo that is outside. Sometimes they block interactions with everybody except themselves. And so this blocking behavior, this narrowing the conversation, keeps you from talking to people who might benefit and perspectives that you could be responding to or perspective you could be supplying. This isn't bad behavior. This is responsible purchasing practice. And it's darn sure not purchasing's responsibility to be the shepherd of, of full customer value and to bring in people that it thinks needed to be added because purchasing doesn't understand solutions any better than the people who've actually been swimming through all of the details, informing themselves and self-informing themselves and self-diagnosing. Purchasing knows even less. So purchasing is not in a position to, add, to incorporate or add to the buying ecosystem. Um, and it wouldn't be welcomed even if they tried. Another purchasing behavior is actually saying, hey, we need three RFPs. And I know that we that the group said that we needed such and such a requirement, but there's only one vendor out there who can provide that requirement. And I need three responses to the RFP. Let's take that off of the RFP so that I can get my three responses. In other words, let's cripple our own self-diagnosed description of our needs even further so that I can get my three responses in. It sounds ridiculous, but we've all seen it. I've seen it many times. And like I say, I don't wanna make purchasing the bad guy. They're merely a reflection of the dysfunction that's happening all through organizations as organizations have done the right thing by developing specialties. They've done the right thing by siloizing and departmentalizing those specialties, but the unintended consequence of that organization structure, of that siloing, is that decisions get narrowed and decisions get crippled. 
those silos, which are meant to help the company do the same thing over and over more efficiently, make that same organization real bad at considering something new. And let's think about another statistic that we've seen, and that is that major change initiatives, uh, including major technology purchases, but all kinds of change initiatives, have a failure rate in the 75 to 85% range, depending on how you count failure. Um, if you use a real forgiving definition, I've seen failure rates as low as 50%. So the way organizations structure their decisions cripples their ability to have a successful implementation. And if you are a sales organization that is responsive and compliant to this dysfunctional decision-making behavior, you are contributing to the bottom half, to the failure rate of a potential decision. And what it takes is somebody with business acumen and deep understanding of the customer's business and the customer's world, as well as credibility, as well as the courage to be able to do this. And finally, almost more importantly, the understanding of all of the value that you could offer to a customer. Who should be added to that decision dynamic? You want to only add somebody to that decision team that is going to add value to the decision. You don't want to be the person who is perceived as making the decision even more clumsy by the decision team lead without a clear indication of why they were added and how they added value to that decision. So that takes credibility, that takes a deep understanding of your value and what you offer, what kind of outcomes you offer to these outside of the team silos and some executive selling acumen to be able to sometimes lean on that team lead to get them to add that person. So this is not your basic salesperson, this is a trusted advisor. And so when you're a sales leader and say, hey, I think I wanna turn into a trusted business advisor, all of this is why. And the reason you're not good at it is that we don't teach salespeople general business acumen. We don't teach salespeople anything more than the big runner value proposition. We don't give them any more than some canned value message that is a big runner or a single threaded value message. Uh, the, your understanding of the value and your understanding of value propositions can no longer be single threaded, can no longer be the big runner. You have to add a value proposition that applies to many different personas, many different departments, many different specialties with an eye towards adding to that decision dynamic when needed. So that's why I got into this whole thing in the first place. And that's why I'm writing my book, uh, Radical Value, uh, coming out March 13. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, thank you very much for listening. And I will sign off with this. Since value only exists in the customer's mind, your success lies all in the customer's head. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.